We're going to be reading today from Hebrews chapter number one. Actually, going to read a four verses here to begin, and then I'll read a multitude of verses throughout the book of Hebrews as I go through this, and we'll try to be cognizant of your time. But it says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so I'm going to preach just for a little bit. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. At my house, I'm not very skilled with tools or carpentry, but I have a multitude of tools that I have amassed over the years. Some I have that I've probably only used once, some I'm not sure I've ever used, but people have given those to me, or I thought I needed it, and, and so depending on the task and depending on the job that, that we need to accomplish, we go to the toolbox and we find a particular tool, and of course if you need to drive a nail, you get a hammer, you don't get a screwdriver, you don't get a measuring tape, all things that I have used over the years when I couldn't find my hammer or it wasn't close at hand. But there are specific tools for specific jobs. And so we have a multitude of tools. If you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or any of those stores, you can go to the tools section. And there is an endless array of tools that you can buy, each of them with a specific task and a specific purpose. There were, uh, as over 100 years ago, the Swiss Army decided that they didn't want to have their people carry so many tools or utensils, and so they created the Swiss Army knife. That knife, depending on which variation you get, it can have a corkscrew, and it can have a fork, and it has a multitude of knives, and it can have two or three different screwdrivers, and you can get bigger and better Swiss Army knives that have all of these different instruments all in one tool, but unfortunately, no matter how big they make it, no matter how good they make it, it can't meet every need. It's just not able to perform every functions. However, when it comes to life and to eternity, we don't need multiple people to help us. We don't need multiple divine beings. We don't need a, a pantheon of gods. All we really need is Jesus. We don't need a whole lot of other people to call on. We don't need Muhammad or Confucius or, or Buddha or anybody else to, to call upon. All we need is Jesus. And so it is to that end that I'm going to preach, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Our text tells us a, a number of things about Jesus. It says that he is the heir of all things, that all things in essence are in his control and he has all things in his hand. It says that he is the tool or the instrument of creation, that all things were created by him, that all things the Bible tells us were created by him and for him. He is the instrument and the tool of creation. The Bible says that he is the brightness of the glory of God. That when you look at him, he is that brightness. He is the exceeding brightness of the glory of God. Moses on the mountain, he wanted to see the glory of God, but he had to 
God had to shield himself, but Jesus Christ is the brightness of his glory. He is the express image, the Bible tells us, of his person. That express image, it's not just a duplication, but it is an identical image. It is an exact reproduction of what God is. It is all in Jesus Christ. He is the express image of his person. He upholds all things by the word of his power. That the creation and everything that you see and everything that exists, it was not only spoken by God, but it is upheld by the word of his power. That the only reason it stays together, the only reason the second law of thermodynamics doesn't take into effect more than it has is because God upholds it all by the word of his power. It is all in his control and all in his hands. This text tells us he is the purger of our sins and he has set down at the right hand the exalted position on high. And then the writer says he is so much better than the angels. We only need Jesus because he is better than the angels. A number of years ago there was a, a big push and a big promotion for angels and I believe in angels. I believe that God looses his angels. The Bible says they are ministering spirits. They go about and they help those who are heirs of salvation and they are ministering to God's people and they are doing God's bidding. But the reality is that we shouldn't look to angels. All we really need to do is look to Jesus. He is better than the angels. He is greater than the angels. He's not an angel that has become God. He is God overall. He has been God from the beginning and he is our savior. He is the only thing that you and I have need of today. He is and has received a more excellent name, the Bible says, than they have. He has received something that is greater the name of Jesus, it is the name in which everyone is saved. There is salvation in no other name. It is only by the name of Jesus. He is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he is worshipped by the angels, which proves that he is better than the angels. We serve a God who is great today. He is all we need. Just give me Jesus. He is better than the angels. And I'm going to hurry the book of Hebrews lines, lays out a whole pattern of things that talks about things that Jesus is better than. Chapters 1 and 2, he is better than the angels. And it delineates a whole number of things. And, and I just walked through some of those about how he is better than the angels. Chapters 3 and 4 tells us that he is better than Moses. Both the... Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says he is both apostle and high priest. That he is everything you need. He is apostle. He is priest. He is king. He is all of that encompassed in one. And because of that, he's better than Moses. The Bible says that Moses was just a servant. Hebrews 3 verse 5 and 6. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken after but Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope unto the end. That Moses is a servant in the house, the Bible says. This text says he is a servant, but Jesus is Lord over the house. He is better than Moses. Moses, the most revered person in Jewish history, the most 
the one that they look to whenever they need something. They appeal to Moses. They look to Moses. They tell the stories of Moses, and rightly so. Moses, the one who was the giver of the law, he is the one who wrote down the law. He is the one who led them out of Egypt. But Moses couldn't do what Jesus did. Moses only recorded the law and he gave the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law. He is better than Moses. Moses only spoke of the rest that they would find in the promised land, but Jesus is that rest. And the text says that when we enter into that rest, or when we believe in him, we enter into the rest that they were seeking in the Old Testament, but they could not find. He is better than Moses. Just give me Jesus today. The next section of Hebrews says that he is a better high priest. Chapters 4 through 7 talks about the fact that he is a better high priest. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He is a high priest in heaven. The high priests in the Old Testament, they were in the tabernacle or they were in the temple and they were, they were doing God's bidding here on earth. But Jesus is a high priest who is in heaven doing the high priestly duties for us. And he is a high priest that the Bible says can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands our human frailties. He understands our flaws. He understands our faults. He sympathizes with us. That's part of the reason that, that God came down in flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. Not only to be that sacrifice, but to live a holy, righteous life and to understand maybe more fully what it's like for our human fallen condition and how we struggle and how we're tempted. And, and unlike Jesus who was tempted in all points, the Bible says, and never sinned, we give in to temptation, we sin. He understands and sympathizes with our weaknesses. And because of that, we can boldly go into the throne of grace and make our petitions known and find grace and help and mercy in the time of need. I'm thankful we have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm glad we have a high priest. He's not looking to judge. He's not looking to condemn, but he's looking to help. He's looking to be what we need. He's looking to give us mercy, and he's looking to give us grace, and we can boldly go before his throne. The Old Testament high priesthood, they were limited in what they could do. The high priest only one time every, every year could go into the Holy of Holies and, and make sacrifice for the nation of Israel. Only once a year could they enter into that most holy place. But because our high priest is in heaven, because our high priest is Jesus Christ, that we can go boldly before the throne. That we're not limited to once a year to come in and seek forgiveness and seek reconciliation and once a year just to seek forgiveness or repentance, but we can do it boldly every time we need help. And every time we fall and every time we sin, we can go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Are you thankful that we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities? Chapter 5 tells us that he doesn't, Jesus doesn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sin. Unlike the high priest of old, Hebrews 5 and 3, because of this he is required as for the people. 
So also for himself, speaking of the Old Testament high priest, to offer sacrifices for sin. And no man takes his honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today have I begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are forever a high priest. That he, he doesn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sin because he's sinless. He has offered sacrifice for your sin and mine and that alone. And he is a high priest forever settled in the heaven. He is a high priest eternally. But not only is he all of that, but he is the mediator of a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 and 9 tells us that he is a mediator of a better covenant. He is mediator of this new covenant, not the old covenant. The old covenant was a shadow or a copy of the real tabernacle. It, was, it wasn't the real thing, it was just an imitation. It was what they were presenting and preparing in order for Jesus Christ to come. But Jesus fulfilled every shadow of the Old Testament. Hebrews 8, 4, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are no priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mount. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. That you and I, because he is the mediator of a better covenant, we have better promises. The old covenant was flawed. Verses 7 through 13 tells us of Hebrews 8. But this new covenant is without flaw. It is a better covenant. It is a better I have today. We have a better covenant. And not only do we have a better covenant, but we have a better sacrifice. Old Testament sacrifices, they were offered, the Bible tells us, year by year. Hebrews 10, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually. Year by year make those who approach perfect for when, for then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. The Old Testament sacrificial system, it was just pushing things down the road. It wasn't really taking away sin. It wasn't really forgiving sin. It wasn't wiping sin out. But when Jesus comes on the scene, He is the sacrifice once and for all that takes away the sin of mankind. He's not offered every year. He doesn't have to go back to the cross every year. He doesn't have to do it over and over again. But His sacrifice was sufficient once and for all to take away the sin of mankind. Old, Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do that. Jesus could do that because he was a sinless, spotless sacrifice. He was more than just a man. It took more than just one perfect human to take it away, but he is God in flesh, and that's why he can take away the sin of the whole world. Philippians 2 tells us, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That he wasn't just a man, but he came in the form of a man to offer the sacrifice for your sin and for mine, to wipe away all of our sins, all of our stains. He took our black sins and he washed them with his crimson blood and now we're white as snow. He is the eternal high priest. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, the high priest would offer the sacrifice. They would offer that sacrifice unto God. But in Jesus, we have all sides of the equation. We've already seen that he is the the high priest. He is forever the high priest. He is an eternal high priest in heaven for us. He is the one that offered the sacrifice. He himself was that sinless, spotless sacrifice. And he is the one who is receiving the sacrifice. He is God over all. Just give me Jesus today. All I need is Jesus. He is both the just and the justifier of those who sin. That Jesus came and paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. Because that penalty of sin was owed to him. He is just, which means the penalty of sin has to be paid for. But he is the justifier because he paid it on our behalf. The penalty of sin is gone because Jesus is a better sacrifice. And wherever you are, would you give God thanks for the fact that he is a better sacrifice. That he has done it once and for all. That all of our sin can be washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is also the author of a better salvation. Hebrews eleven thirty nine and all these, speaking of all these Old Testament men and women of God who walked in faith, it says all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They died without the promise. They died still looking for that salvation that you and I have today. They died still wanting and anticipating what God was going to do. And that promise that we saw a couple of weeks ago is the promise of the Spirit that we can live. And we have that indwelling Spirit today because we have a better salvation. We're not waiting for the promise of the Spirit. We have the promise of the Spirit. We're not still looking for what they were looking for. We have what they died without. We have something better. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking Unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have a better salvation because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. An author is one who causes something to begin, the initiator, the founder, the originator, that Jesus is the one who has initiated. He is the one who originated our salvation. We didn't choose this. We didn't make this up. But Jesus is the author of our faith. 
I read this uh, explanation a number of years ago about how people write plays and, and various things, or they write novels. And sometimes when you read a novel, and I, I've read a lot of books in my lifetime, you'll see or read something in the beginning of a book or somewhere along the way you'll see a detail and maybe it's like a gun in a drawer or a gun in a nightstand and what they say is that if you're if you're writing a story or you're writing a play that you don't want to just throw these random details in but if the character or if one of the characters in the story if they see this gun in a nightstand that that gun in the nightstand should somehow come back into the story. It should make an appearance again that it's not just a throwaway detail. The Old Testament, the tabernacle plan, it was a copy and a shadow, but it wasn't just a throwaway. It wasn't just, well, it's just something we'll do just to get to the real thing. But everything that God did in the Old Testament was a shadow and a copy of that which was going to come in Jesus Christ. Whether it's the Passover and Jesus being that Passover lamb whose blood, when it's applied to our life, will keep us from death. Or whether it's the offering of sins or it's the brazen labor, it's the brazen altar, where there's symbolism of, of rep repentance and there's symbolism of baptism and the holy of holies, where there's symbolism of being filled with the Spirit, all of that. The author of our faith has set that in motion so that when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he can also bring about the conclusion of our faith. He is the author of our faith. It's not just random, loose ends, but it's intentional, purposeful orchestration. This text says that He is the finisher. He is the completer. He is the perfecter. He is the one that makes us complete and perfect. That's what it means to be the finisher of our faith. The one who makes possible successful completion. Philippians 1.6 tells us that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just give me Jesus. He is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the old covenant. He's a better high priest. He is the author of a better salvation. That everything that you and I need is in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I know Jesus. I'm thankful that I can worship Him. I'm thankful that I'm filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost today. I was praying last Sunday night or Monday night before I, I went to sleep. And, and I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to preach this weekend and my, my typical, I, I do preach a lot of series, and I like to preach series, and even when I'm preaching series, of course, you make room for God to interject and to, to interrupt the series, and of course, you never preach a sermon series without praying and seeking God for direction, and God doesn't have to speak the week of a sermon. He can speak months in advance. He can speak years in advance, but I, I, I wasn't sure because we're in this unique season and so I, I've not preached a series at all since we've been doing live stream only and I was praying before I went to bed and I said God I, I want to know what you want me to preach next Sunday I, I don't don't know what it is that I should do 
And I had a dream early Monday morning, I believe it was. And in my dream, and dreams can be random a lot of times. It's not, you don't always have dreams that, that mean something. And even sometimes when God speaks through dreams, it's just one piece of the dream that is what you should take from it. It's not the whole thing. And it was one of those unreal kind of dreams. It was an unrealistic situation. And so I, I dreamed that I was at the Super Bowl. Of course, Kansas City, Super Bowl champs. Maybe that's why that was part of the equation. I don't know. But I was at the Super Bowl, and there were people that I knew. And, and if you can imagine having a church service at the Super Bowl, that's what we were doing. Is, and I was getting ready to preach at this service at the Super Bowl. And it, wasn't, it wasn't exactly in the, the parking lot. It wasn't like a tailgate party, but it was outside of the, the arena, outside of the stadium. And... I'm getting ready to preach somebody asked me what I thought about the Super Bowl and how excited I was and and my response in the dream wasn't how great the Super Bowl was and how wonderful it was that the Chiefs were there or how wonderful it was that the Chiefs won my response was just give me Jesus. I don't need any, anything else. Just give me. Just give me Jesus. People all across our nation across our world they are looking for meaning they're looking for purpose they look to money or they look to their career or they they look to relationships they look to entertainment but none of that will satisfy and in the end none of that really matters just give me Jesus today he's the only thing that matters and he's the only thing that we need would you worship with us
your prayer today wherever you are I, I just want you and nothing else and nothing else and nothing else will do I just want you and nothing else and nothing else Nothing else to do. I just want you. Nothing else. Yes, Lord. Nothing else. Nothing else to do. I just want you. Nothing else. Yes, Lord. Nothing else. don't know Jesus today, you haven't been in relationship with him or you're not sure exactly where you stand with him, Jesus is all you need. When you get Jesus, you get everything that God is and all he has to offer. So wherever you are, would you just you don't know him today would you reach out to him and would you talk to him you don't have to have fancy words just open your mouth and tell him that you need him tell him that you want him that you want to be in relationship with him today Jesus we need you we want you God we want to give our lives to you today we want to follow you completely we want you to live on the inside through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we need you today. We want you today. And nothing else. And nothing else. I knelt will do. I just want you. Nothing else. Kim's going to sing it a few more times. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Praying for all of you that you have a great week and that you would feel God's presence and power in a greater way than ever before.